0: hey guys i'm monica crowley and this is the monica crowley podcast thank you so much for joining me here on this monday as we kick off a brand new week a holiday week Heading into Christmas. All right. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and true social, I am at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email. Let me know what's on your mind. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com is the address. And we are here this week. And we are here next week because you know what? Rescuing America never takes a day off, not even for the holidays, all right? So we're all going to have an enjoyable holiday season, but we're also going to do this show and listen to this show and work to save America around the clock, right? Speaking of which, today we are going to do a very serious show and a very important one. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the COVID pandemic, the corruption of public health, and the collusion of big governments, big pharma, and big tech to spread big lies about the virus and the so-called vaccines sold as fixes for the virus. Today, we're going to go deep into this very dark story with one of the most courageous truth-tellers about the entire evil chapter, which continues to this very day. It is an absolute honor and privilege to have with us today one of the leading scientific pioneers of our time. Dr. Robert Malone is an internationally recognized virologist and immunologist, clinical research and regulatory affairs expert, US federal contract proposal and project manager, and the original inventor of mrna delivery and vaccination as a technology this is where most of you probably know dr malone's name he was one of the co-inventors of the mRNA technology. Dr. Malone received his medical training at Northwestern University and Harvard University Medical School, and he has almost 100 academic peer-reviewed publications. He also has an excellent substack, so I highly recommend it to everybody. Please go check out Dr. Malone on his Substack. And he's got a brand new blockbuster book out called Lies My Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming. I love that optimistic subtitle. This book is extraordinary. It's got a foreword by another major truth teller of the pandemic, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. This book is available everywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com right now. So please go get it. It will be one of the most important books you will read. Dr. Malone joins me now. Hello, sir.
1: Hi, Monica. Thanks for the lead in. I'm embarrassed.
0: <laughs> well, you shouldn't be. You earned all of those accolades for sure. And it is such an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for being here. And congratulations on the new book.
1: Well, thanks. Um, uh, a lot of complexity around there. Uh, I guess uh, some people, if they purchase now, it'll get there before Christmas and other people it won't. I'm I'm not sure why it's taking us so long to get shipped from Amazon because they have plenty of copies, but... Uh, but there it is. You can buy it as both the hardback now and um, as an ebook.
0: Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it were part of an actual collusion attempt to suppress your book, doctor, because you've been suppressed all over the place for the last three years, certainly since the onset of this pandemic. Um, We've got a lot to get to with you today. And I told you right before we came on the air that I am a frustrated medical doctor. I have a PhD in international affairs, but for a long time throughout my high school years and so on, I always intended to go to medical school and then I discovered American Form. And policy and national security and went and studied that instead. But I have been fascinated by watching the pandemic unfold. And then, of course, uh, the U.S. government response. I served as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury uh, during the Trump administration, during the pandemic. So I was working on the economic response, but I was also in the administration and privy to Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks uh, Dr. Redfield, a lot of the key players uh, early on in the pandemic. And it was it was a fascinating thing to see so we have a lot to unpack so you, with you you
1: and peter navarro must have uh, crossed paths then
0: yes i was at the treasury department and he was in the white house but yes Yes, we did cross paths very often, and I know uh, you and I, you and he have talked and have a relationship. But yeah, we were working on the economic side, but I was also privy to seeing what the administration and what the president was being told by a lot of these characters, like Fauci and Burks, and and so on. And obviously, the president. Was a businessman before he became president, and believed what he was being told. Um, and why wouldn't you, right? When you have the head of the CDC and the head of the NIH telling you certain things as president, and you're in an unprecedented crisis, of course he was going to act on what he was being told. But we will we will get to that. Um, I would love for you to uh, I'd love for you to sort of frame your background, and begin by taking us back to the creation of something that you helped to develop, which is messenger RNA or mRNA technology. In layman's terms, could you just walk us through what it is and how it came to be?
1: Um, so thanks for that. And I, and I tried to speak briefly about this at the Ron Johnson um, testimony. I guess it was two days ago now. Uh, the genesis of this was that I was as a graduate student at the Salk Institute, having already finished my first two years of medical school. So I was in an MD PhD program and elected to leave Northwestern. Uh, My wife really did not like Chicago weather. We both grew up in Santa Barbara. Uh, so we were a little spoiled, I guess. Uh, and, um, and I wanted to work in a, really a cutting edge gene therapy laboratory. Um, this is based on my experience, uh, really extensive experience as an undergraduate working in a retroviral lab focused on breast cancer. And that was the same lab that did a lot of the early research in um, non-human primate models for AIDS. So uh, I was well familiar with vaccines and had worked with a influenza vaccine uh, and influenza biology expert at Northwestern and uh, elected to try to do my PhD elsewhere. <clears throat> was very focused on gene therapy, uh, that being correction of pediatric disease, the technology that Ted Friedman, uh, had, uh, advanced or the concept that you, one might be able to correct inborn errors of metabolism. In other words, cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, um, uh, adenosine deaminase deficiency, etc genetic disorders of children. You might be able to correct it with gene therapy technology. And for me, with a background in retroviruses and retroviruses were the leading tech for um, uh, trying to advance uh, this concept that Friedman and his colleagues had come up with. Uh, I I was really enamored of the idea that I might spend the rest of my uh, career, my professional career working in gene therapy area to try to cure pediatric disease in children, uh, inborn areas of metabolism. And, uh, so I applied for, um, what I thought was the strongest program in the United States in that area at the time in the, uh, mid to late eighties, uh, that was at UC San Diego and both Ted Friedman and his laboratory complex were there. And across the street from San Diego, uh, Indoverma was there at the Salk Institute, uh, in the molecular biology and virology labs, so I, uh, I nailed my uh, graduate record exams and uh, was um, welcomed uh, into UC San Diego after the first two years of med school that I'd done at Northwestern. And uh, um, uh, asked uh, whether I, you know, I spoke to Ted Friedman about doing a rotation and also Verma as a graduate student. And uh, Ted was really uh, discouraging about the future of gene therapy. And he wanted me to do what I thought was the most boring project I've ever heard of, which was um, creating a, a ordered library of uh, one of the key chromosomes in the human genome and then sequencing that. Of course, if I had taken his advice, I would have been at the forefront of the human genome project, but mm. so it goes. So Inder uh, took me in. And uh, I was the only grad student in a lab of about 15 or 18 postdocs, people that already had their PhD. Uh, Really cutting edge stuff. I think there was about a half a dozen Nobel laureates there. Jonas Salk was still there at the time. And the challenge as a graduate student in an environment like that is to find something that is uh, interesting, relevant, but uh, not too much at the cutting edge so you don't get overrun by all the postdocs. And what I chose to focus on was how retrovirus RNA gets packaged to form retroviruses, because that was a key challenge in producing enough recombinant retroviruses for gene therapy purposes for children. And uh, in developing the system necessary to ask key questions that I wanted to ask, Uh, I inadvertently developed one of the first really viable uh, non-viral gene delivery technologies. And this worked for both DNA and RNA. But in particular, I had built the system for producing large quantities of RNA and uh, designing it, engineering that RNA so it could be efficiently translated. And I pioneered the use of the uh, firefly protein luciferase, for uh, tracking whether or not this is working, how efficiently it's working in both cells and animals. And that's still the basic system that's used in the current tech um, with a couple of modest modifications. And uh, having having built this system, as I was testing it, I I went around to all of the labs in the Salk and acquired a, a huge library of cell culture lines, tested it all with those, and the RNA worked there. And in the process, I had filed a patent disclosure for the use of mRNA as a medicine for any purpose. And the logic was that the mRNA has very short half-life. It's degraded quickly, unlike a traditional gene therapy that's a permanent alteration of your genome. And so the what I advocated was that mRNA could f- create a new class of medicines. Uh, a new uh, molecular medicine that could go direct from genetic sequence to product. And uh, of the potential uses of this, it was not very efficient. It wasn't good at getting into the majority of cells. It wasn't even possible. tiny fraction of cells would take up the RNA. And uh, so in the face of something that really doesn't work very well, but it works somewhat, the leading indication for something like that is generating an immune response, vaccination. So this led to the logic of mRNA as a drug and as the leading indication, mRNA for vaccines based on the uh, logic. And I demonstrated this in cell culture that the mRNA so synthesized only lasts in the cell for a small number of hours. Now, what's happened between now and then is that About a decade later, Carrico and Weissman came along and applied some new discoveries that had happened in the field of molecular biology of RNA. And that was the discovery that this modified um, component of RNA called pseudouridine, as opposed to regular uridine, could make RNA last much longer and make it uh, so that it would reduce the inflammatory response to these complexes. And so that's the basis for their patent. And uh, of course, Katie Carrico became vice president of BioNTech, which gave rise to Pfizer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that that together with some modifications of the lipid, the positively charged fats that are used to slip the RNA into cells is what gives rise to our current tech. And the big difference between what I had envisioned back then and the current tech is these molecules now with pseudouridine incorporated all the way through them are absolutely not natural RNAs. They don't behave like natural RNAs. They suppress, uh, the immune response and they have a very, very long half-life, uh, in the, uh, study published in February, in cell, it's demonstrated in human uh, lymph node biopsies that the RNA or whatever this molecule should be called, because it's not really natural RNA, sticks around for at least 60 days and they didn't test beyond that. So some some significant differences from what I had originally envisioned, but that's how it came about in short, was um, trying to build a system to ask fundamental questions about how RNA gets packaged into retroviruses and along the way, a series of discoveries led to um, the insight that mRNA could be used as a drug and that the leading or lowest hanging fruit application for um, this kind of approach or technology would be for generating an immune response or ergo vaccination. that makes sense?
0: Yes, 100%. And I'm glad you walked us through it because it's really framing the rest of the conversation did you and i have so many questions about what you just laid out there do you do you consider the mrna shots Moderna, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and so on—a bastardization of the original application or the original intent of the mRNA uh, vaccine. Now you said, you know, the, um, that it was intended for certain chronic illnesses and then to generate an immune response. So maybe you don't consider it a bastardization, but it, looking at how it has been used and perhaps abused uh, during the last three years, what's your view?
1: Okay, first off, um, when you were kind of going over the laundry list of corporations that are manufacturing these gene therapy based um, vaccine like products, you mentioned AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca uses a different gene therapy technology, kind of a second generation gene therapy technology um, that followed the use of the retroviral vectors, which um, basically failed to achieve the objective, um, and that's adenovirus. So uh, the adenovirus vector technology that um, created Crucell, that was then bought by J&J and is the basis for the J&J jab is uh, based on a recombinant cold virus called adenovirus. So it's different from the mRNA tech. And it actually also was initially developed in the same exact gene therapy laboratory, in the verbis laboratory at the Salk Institute. So there's a tie between the two. Um, And actually, the founder of Crucell came to me uh, once and said, Robert, you're right, the leading indication should be vaccines, and we're going to switch Crucell's focus from uh, gene therapy classically to vaccines, and then the company exploded, and the rest is history. But it's not an mRNA-based product. Um, Do I consider it a bastardization? The core idea is that we need technology to enable us to produce vaccines more rapidly in a more agile fashion. And I don't think anybody can disagree with that. 10 years to a final product is problematic in a world in which we have emerging infectious disease and engineered pathogens as a threat. Um, so the core idea is to be able to go direct from gene to vaccine. And that still has a lot of merit. Unfortunately, what we've seen with this tech at this time, is that this was all rushed. It was not adequately safety tested under Operation Warp Speed structures. And a lot of corners were cut, and then people were coerced using this amazing propaganda campaign to take an unlicensed medical product that turns out to be neither safe nor effective. As I said in the Ron Johnson hearing, um, in response to a question from Senator Marshall uh, about what, you know, what I would have done had I been Tony Fauci or been involved in this. Uh, my I made the point that I would not have substituted hope for data, which is the essence of what Deborah Burks and um, Rochelle Walensky are now saying is that, uh, well, we hoped that these products would work. And so on the basis of that, they uh, deployed the product and uh, deployed this massive campaign to get people and children to accept an unlicensed medical product and to force or coerce them through mandates and propaganda, et cetera. So is it a bastardization? Um, the currical and Weissman modification, makes it so that the tech that's now deployed by these companies, but not by, say, CureVac, which had very similar results, results in a molecule which persists in the body for a very, very long time. We really don't know for how long because the FDA didn't do this job and force pharma to do the test that it needed to do. Is it a bastardization? You could say it's an evolution, uh, but... um. It is absolutely not the original intent, mm-hmm. which was that you would have a molecule, a natural mRNA that would be rapidly degraded in the body so that if there was an adverse event, it would not persist and it would not continue to cause that adverse event. And you could just withdraw, you know, stop dosing the drug, just like with any other pill. So that was the concept and what we have right now is a long ways away from it.
0: Over. Mm. Interesting. Well, you know, they they term them vaccines for a reason to try to get maximum uptake of these shots for a whole variety of reasons. But as you say, this is gene therapy. These are not traditional vaccines. And I also know, Dr. Malone, that the CDC changed the definition of vaccine multiple times to accommodate these shots' failures to do basic preventative things, Correct.
1: Yeah. And that's not the only thing that's been changed with this. The whole experience over the last three years has been deeply Orwellian in the sense of we have a uh, large government organizations uh, um, generating new language and modifying the meaning of words to fit with the objectives and uh, um uh, let's say, bureaucratic um, objectives of the programs that are being managed. Uh, and um, in the case of of these products, you, you may recall, or if you were following, uh, when I spoke about these as gene therapy uh, technology applied to vaccination, I was uh, really aggressively, quote, fact-checked. And this was early in the kind of life cycle of the fact checkers as we've experienced them. Uh, And they absolutely denied this is the case, except for uh, they didn't ever account for the fact that the um, SEC filings for both Pfizer and Moderna had clearly indicated that they acknowledged that this was a gene therapy technology and had associated risks. But I believe that the, um, uh, um, the, reason why there had to be such a strong effort to deny the uh, gene therapy technology basis for these products was that the uh, regulatory agency, the FDA in the case of the United States, elected to not apply their checklist for gene therapy products, which would would have required much more rigorous testing of things like genotoxicity, reproductive toxicology, etc. And they they bypassed all of that by justifying that these were vaccine products, not gene therapy technology applied to vaccines. And so they could avoid the gene therapy checklist and only apply the vaccines checklist which is really designed for a totally different cat, you know category of products and and ones that are are more familiar with the agency, uh, you know, the agency is more familiar with the technology and has felt because of the long-standing use of more traditional vaccine technologies that they know what the risks are and the risks are minimal. And so they were able to disregard, Uh, The potential of this to act in ways that are known to be problems with gene transfer or gene therapy technologies, because they basically swept it under the rug and said, well, this isn't a gene therapy technology, despite the fact that it was.
0: And the fact that they've kept it for so long under the emergency use authorization, which they just extended, by the way, when the emergency is long since passed, but also now they're recommending for babies at six months old and so on. Dr. Malone, please stand by. So much more to get to with you. We will be right back. Okay, everybody, listen up. We're back with this absolutely fascinating conversation with Dr. Robert Malone. What have they done to the data? Medicine has always been data-driven, clinical trials that go on for years and years. I understand with the, the outbreak of this novel coronavirus, nobody had ever seen it before, I understand the necessity of moving on an expedited timeline on all of this, but now that we actually do have some data on uh, really significant data on cardiac events, on fertility issues, on uh, uh, anything related to blood clots, strokes, heart attacks, emboli, now that we have all of this, they still have it under emergency use. They are still pushing this. For the entire population, even though we do have some who are standing up, pushing back, like Florida's attorney general, um, and we've got some international governments like, um, I think, Finland and maybe some others who are not recommending- England, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, not recommending these shots based on the incoming data on vaccine injury, death, the number of excess deaths, and so on. So,
1: oh, I'm, I'm referring to in the under 30 crowd or the under 30. Crowd. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yes. Thank you for that clarification. Um, so, know, knowing what we now know, now that we're getting incoming data um, over this mass global uh, vaccination campaign. What are your views in terms of where we are with these gene therapies, and should they be pulled from the market for particular populations or all populations as a whole?
1: So uh, I'm aligned with Harvey Reich in his testimony uh, two days ago in uh, Ron Johnson's meeting, and the group that I'm affiliated with, the International Association of Physicians and Medical Scientists, which is over 17,000 um, physicians and medical scientists all verified uh, came out. I think it was in the beginning of August with a clear and unquivocal declaration. This is our declaration number four, and you can find that at the global COVID summit uh, website in which we explicitly said these products should all be withdrawn. They are neither safe nor effective. They're not performing the intended purpose. And they're not safe. And the data has just become stronger and stronger and stronger since then. Uh, and even in the even in the face of what the New York Times published as CDC chronically withholding data all the way through this outbreak and CDC having become a politicized arm of the executive branch, uh, despite all of that, the latest CDC data, that have been released clearly document that in the United States, just like the rest of the world, um, we are seeing what's the technical term is negative effectiveness of the vaccines starting at approximately two to three months after administration. So, uh, what that, you know, to kind of translate the, the science language, negative effectiveness means that if you take the, for instance, booster product, um, about two months later, your risk of hospitalization or death from COVID actually increases relative to if you had not taken the product at all, which is the basis for the current administration now recommending boosters every two months, because that's the timeline for where this uh, crosses the line uh, Mm -hmm. to negative effectiveness. And there's multiple mechanisms that seem to be behind this.
0: Is that because, can I I just interrupt Dr. Malone and just, is that because these shots are suppressing the natural immune system and actually turning off your body's ability to fight infection, whether it's from COVID or from some other things? You know, I'm also starting to read that cancer rates are way up and it may be that it's turning off your body's ability to fight cancer and and the development of cancer cells in the body.
1: So- Uh, The earliest signal relating to this uh, question you're asking about the immunosuppression uh, had to do with the uh, very early observation that one of the other adverse events that's uh, really overlooked in the press, um, but quite clear in the data, is uh, the onset of reactivation of latent DNA viruses. This is Epstein-Barr virus, uh, mm-hmm. shingles, et cetera. So these DNA, large DNA viruses that our immune system typically keeps suppressed and that hang out in the nuclei in our cells in a chronic fashion, uh, suddenly they were popping up and causing disease post-vaccination. Uh, and it appears that um, that was the first signal that we're having some sort of T cell or cytotoxic T lymphocyte suppression in function in a broad way that's not antigen specific. So what what we seem to have here is a is a wide variety of mechanisms that are contributing to these risks of increased risk of cancer and uh, a more broad-based immunosuppression. And as well as the general lack of energy that many people experience, this may have to do with the toxicity of the spike protein on mitochondria, for example. Uh, Spike protein, if it makes it to the nucleus, seems to interfere with DNA um, uh, repair mechanisms. Uh, And there does seem to be a broad-based immunosuppression through multiple different mechanisms, one of which may well be the actual incorporation incorporation of the pseudouridine. This is something that's uh, well-documented in the peer-reviewed literature that uh, pseudouridine can, RNAs are immunosuppressive. That's part of its mechanism of action. That's part of why it was originally used. So it seems to be multifactorial. And Monica, I just wanna say one thing really clear. Um, the observation of many, is I took the jabs. I didn't get cancer. I didn't get a heart attack. I didn't have blood clots. Therefore you're lying to me. Okay. And, um, that stems in part from the logic that some people have promoted, uh, that, um, all of us are, that have taken the vaccine are going to die. All of us are going to have these effects. No, the data suggests that serious adverse events, meaning it takes you to the doctor, to the hospital, or potentially death, those event rates are something in the range of 1 in a 1,000 to 1 in 2,000 people that take the jab. So um, if you have taken the product and not experienced any of these problems, good on you. You, uh, you know, threw the dice and uh, it didn't uh, come up in a way that uh, you, you have consequences. It's not going to affect everybody. Not everybody is going to get cancer. It's still going to be relatively rare. But relative to its background rate, um, these cancers and other phenomena seem to be occurring at a significantly higher rate. And then you have the Ed Dowd and his colleagues' data. Um, coming out of the insurance actuaries tables that suggest that we have this paradoxical increase in all cause mortality that seems to correspond with the highly vaccinated populations such as the highly the employed that have been subjected to mandates. Um, and the incidence of these increased risk of uh, of death, of all cause mortality and disease morbidity, Uh, seems to not correspond with the onset of the uh, infection in 2020, but they seem to have started approximately at the same time that the mass vaccination campaigns happen. So there's a temporal association, and it may be that part of that excess mortality has to do with people being depressed, suicide, fentanyl abuse, uh, which rose, uh, and and other factors. We can't say that it's all due, this excess death um, to uh, vaccine complications, but there's certainly a lot of signs that they may be playing a significant role in these unprecedented increases in all-cause morbidity or disease and mortality or death.
0: Can you speak a little bit about um, what we're seeing in terms of elevated cardiac events? We've seen a lot of videos of athletes, basketball players, soccer players around the world collapsing on the pitch, collapsing on the field. We also hear of a lot of heart attacks, strokes, emboli, but we also hear about a lot of people dying in their sleep after vaccination. Can you can you sort of unpack that for and us? And there's
1: also, um, appears in some countries to be a signal uh, that relates to automobile um, sudden death uh, accidents yes. and things. Um, yes. uh, so uh, the challenge in interpreting all of this, just to acknowledge it, is that autopsies of these people have been discouraged. And uh, so the pathologist, the autopsy process is basically the quality control process for the medical system. And so we're, we're left observing these events and um, rarely are we getting any actual data, any autopsy data to be able to determine the true cause of death. And then there appears to be some really strong um, disincentives to reporting any findings which might indicate that they're vaccine-associated, both in the military and otherwise. So, for instance, I'm told that uh, autopsy, re- because autopsies are required in, in uh, service men who have died suddenly like this, and uh, those autopsy reports are apparently being withheld which has kind of a ripple effect because the survivors, you know, if you're married to your wife, can't get um, the survivor benefits until after the autopsy is released. So there's a bunch of consequence, practical consequences of this uh, practice of suppressing uh, autopsies and autopsy reports. There are these various sensationalized uh, videos like died suddenly um, that, uh, in the opening clips, uh, there's association made with, uh, Bigfoot. Um, there is a video clip at the beginning of somebody who died suddenly. Um, but the date in which that occurred predated the vaccine deployment. And so we have to be careful. As I said, in one essay, you mentioned my Substack. uh, early on i had cross posted a video montage of uh typically younger men athletes dying suddenly and uh and i i now know where that came from i tweeted it out or retweeted it i didn't create it um and uh about a month later i got a cease and desist letter with some really angry wording from a lawyer of the family of one of these young men that were featured in the clip, uh, pointing out that it had nothing to do with the vaccine and, uh, asserting that I was, uh, politicizing, uh, their son's death, um, to which I apologized, uh, deleted the tweet and, uh, you know, uh, was older and wiser as a consequence. I think we really have to be aware that, uh, it's important that we get the facts, right and um so some of these video montages are mashups that really have not been a- adequately fact-checked but that doesn't uh discount the fact that many of these events are valid and true and yes. uh, as you point out there they you, you can die suddenly from a number of things uh like this what we're seeing the death on the field often in younger male athlete, high performers at periods of high performance. And, uh, similar things are observed in the bodybuilder population. Uh, and so there seems to be some testosterone component and it's, there's multiple ways this can happen. You can certainly have a, a clotting disorder. You can throw a pulmonary embolus. You can have a stroke. Um, you can have an embolic stroke. Uh, you can have direct cardiac damage because the incidence of uh, myocarditis in uh, the young male population, that's kind mm-hmm. of 30 and below, is repeatedly uh, tested when, when assessed rigorously at something in the range of 1, to 2000, 1 in 2,000 to 1 in 3,000 people that receive the jab. And remember, every time you take it, you roll the dice again. So um, what's being observed is clinical myocarditis at a rate of 1 to 2,000 to 1 in 3,000. And those people are all set up for sudden death at some point in the future. And uh, we had hoped that, um, and and the propaganda had been pushed, that um, the uh, incidents incidence of death after myocarditis associated with the vaccine would be much lower. that these were mild cases. you may remember that propaganda coming out of CDC and elsewhere, that these were mild cases people would readily recover. I knew at the time, as did anybody with any background in pathology or cardiology, that those were lies. Uh, those were misrepresentations. Number one, they didn't have the data to be able to say that. Number two, the history of clinical myocarditis is that it has a significant five-year mortality rate of something like 30 to 40%. The thing is that heart muscle does not heal, it scars. And the scars that are formed conduct the electrical signal in the heart in a different way from the normal heart muscle. And this sets up electrical irregularities that can lead to what some what's called ventricular fibrillation. this is long known in cardiology. This is the one of the big problems with heart attacks and uh, it's why people end up with pacemakers among other things. And so it is reasonable that a significant fraction of these sudden deaths are due to ventricular fibrillation consequent to myocardial scarring. That's a bunch of words. Myocarditis means, our myocardial means the cells of the heart muscle. When they scar, they can cause this problem and lead to this situation where the heartbeat, rather than being regularly controlled through the sinoatrial node, the regular kind of um, clock signal that gives your heartbeat, as electrical pulses, um, you can end up with electrical signals that kind of circulate around and around, uh, randomly in the heart muscle. And that causes the heart muscle to just kind of contract people. The term is used like a bag of worms. Um, it just kind of, um, vacillates and it doesn't pump blood. And, the, you know, if you don't pump blood, you die.
0: Well, that's right. And so much of this has been buried and continues to be buried. And I thank you for sharing your, your story about uh, the family and your tweeted apology. But, you know, on the other hand, Dr. Malone, I think about Marvin Hagler, the famous boxer who got both shots in March of 21 and died. And his family came forward and said, we absolutely attribute this to to these vaccines. And they were silenced. That family was shut down so fast. They were not allowed to speak on what they suspected in that case.
1: So this this gets to the propaganda and censorship and Monica I suspect with your degree of sophistication if I use the term fifth generation warfare you're not confused by that. Correct. We're we're in an information battlefield in which uh the um the field of operation and the objective is to control people's belief system actually to control their thought. And uh we have been subjected to what's really This is going to sound a little conspiratorial, but um, we have the information now to back this up from uh, Elon Musk and Twitter and the attorney general's lawsuit against the federal government. The various FOIA documents, over $10 billion were invested by the federal government to promote propaganda. And now in this current situation, they're investing about $475 million to promote the booster vaccines, which only about 14% of the U.S. population are accepting. So here's the big words. You, we, your listeners, have been subjected to military-grade propaganda, um, information warfare, fifth-generation warfare technology that was designed for offshore um, operations against hostels It has been deployed against the American citizenry to force them, compel them, entice them. Those are all key words in terms of biomedical ethics to take an unlicensed medical product that is neither safe nor effective on the basis of hope, as testified by Deborah Burks and uh, Rochelle Walensky. They, on the basis of hope, we have deployed an unlicensed medical product and forced, coerced, mandated, and reinforced through really military-grade information warfare technology uh, for the American public to accept this product that is neither safe nor effective.
0: To me, this has been the greatest psychological operation maybe in the history of the world, And it also, I think, um, when I think about the early days and being in the administration, yes, it was a novel coronavirus. So nobody had ever seen it before. So at the beginning, I could understand the fear and concern. Nobody knew how this virus was going to behave. Was it going to act like Ebola, where you bleed out and you're dead Mm -hmm. in 72 hours? Or was this a more extreme flu? Nobody knew. But after we had a handle on the virus, the fact that uh, public health officials, both here and abroad, but certainly here, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Birch, Dr. Redfield, uh, Rochelle Walensky, so many others leveraged our fear when they yeah. knew that it wasn't going to be the Ebola, right? They continued to leverage yes. fear as the psychological operation to channel everybody into these experimental shots and smear and attack known therapeutics that were cheap and available like ivermectin and hydroxy and i don't know where you stand on those but they wanted to channel everybody into these big pharma yes. products when you had all kinds of conflicts of interest involving fauci and patents and the rest yeah. of it where they were all making money hand over fist
1: so um in monica you have a unique position Uh, to interpret some of the more subtle aspects of this because of your experience at Treasury. Um, In addition to the profit, and by the way, this has now been engineered, so it is a virtual monopoly in perpetuity in the application of this technology, and we could go into how that happened. But in addition to Uh, forcing the inoculations into the population with the associated profit for Pfizer-Moderna and the increase in market capitalization. Uh, We also had exploitation of this situation uh, to address uh, a major um, economic uh, boundary event that we were facing in late 2019 that many assert was akin or worse than the 0708 crash in terms of the liquidity crisis. So we had this mm-hmm. exploited to um, serve the agenda of injecting massive amounts of fiat currency into the economy. And just recently, I saw this fascinating clip uh, from uh, uh, the head of uh, Larry Fink, um, uh, from uh, head of uh, the what is it? Blackstone, right? Um, yes. BlackRock. Black um, so Larry Fink is asserting that it is populism that's responsible for the inflation, not the massive injection of fiat currency. We had a whole bunch of other reveals along the road over the last three years. And the book goes into this quite a bit, trying to follow all these different rabbit holes of who, who benefited and how. But one of the most important ones that relates to your core competency was when Uh, Justin Trudeau and his finance minister, Christopher Freeland, both of whom are World Economic Forum-trained young leaders you know, five-year training program, uh, when they decided to weaponize the banking system against the truckers to block the trucker protests and basically lock them out of their bank account, that was a wake-up call not only for the entire Canadian banking system, and it came close to collapsing, it is my understanding, um because of people suddenly realizing that their that the canadian banking was not a safe harbor for their offshore capital um but it revealed another aspect that many of us had really not been tracking and that being um centralized digital currency uh which is either going to be controlled by the fed or by um the bank of international settlements ultimately uh, and the utilization of this matrix of uh, personal ID with associated information um, in the form of vaccine passports or uh, various embodiments of that, and integration of that into uh, a banking system that is now empowered to enforce social agendas, uh, political agendas, as we saw happen in, in the uh, Canadian truckers protest. And that you know, as as we try to make sense of why this obsession of uh, forcing these products into the population globally, as you say, this, a lot of folks that don't travel aren't aware that what we've been subjected here in the United States to is mirrored in Europe, Latin America, you know, all across the world. Uh, And and, um, there appears to have been Other agendas, other than just public health that are being pursued in the context of this, uh, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste situation.
0: I'm so glad that you said that, Dr. Malone, and you do take this apart in your outstanding new book. Again, it's called Lies My Government uh, Told Me. Dr. Malone, please hang tight. We will be right back with you. But first, I'd like to take a moment to welcome back our great sponsor, Omaha Steaks. Guys, the holidays are here. So you want to achieve gifting greatness. And you can do that when you give the gift of perfectly aged tender, and delicious Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks have put together a delicious selection of various gift packages to make shopping for the ones you love nice and easy. Go to omahasteaks.com and take advantage of 50% off site-wide. Use promo code MONICA at checkout to also get an additional $40 off your order. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart. A gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit OmahaSteaks.com and take advantage of 50% off site-wide. Plus, use promo code MONICA at checkout to get that extra $40 off your order. Minimum order may be required. OmahaSteaks.com, promo code MONICA. We're coming right back. Okay, we're back with Dr. Robert Malone. His new book is called Lies My Government Told Me. Everything we have suspected throughout this pandemic has been um, born true um, as we've gotten more data and more evidence, whether it's by a big tech with the Twitter files or real medical data, scientific data coming out. But I'm glad to hear you say that because as you lay out in the book, we have been manipulated, misled lied to since the early months of 2020. And it begs the question, to what end? Right. Why have they gone about this? And I'm, I'm really heartened to hear you talk about the Great Reset. And these transnational organizations, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and others, where their only goal is power and control, really dominion over the entire world. And it manifests in different kinds of objectives for them, a one world government, economic and cultural Marxism, and global depopulation. You have people like the CCP, you've got Bill Gates, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you've got Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum and his right hand Yuval Hariri. They're all publicly on the record saying that they they believe in climate change, they believe that the earth is under tremendous strain and our resources are under strain and that we have too many people, seven billion people is too much. So they are publicly pushing for global depopulation and it gives rise to the question the orig- between the original virus and these shots is the intent all of this this political uh, agenda is both the virus and the vaccines so-called vaccines are they bioweapons to try to bring the global population down
1: so um the depopulation that here's here's where i stand on this stuff monica and i'm and i'm glad you brought it up uh all the way through i've I've managed to avoid many of the traps and pitfalls, um, you know, the snake venom story and all that, by, among other things, insisting, as I've been trained by lawyers as an expert witness to do, that I can't see inside people's heads. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what Tony Fauci's motivation is. I don't know what Klaus Schwab and Yuval Harari's motivations are. I can comment on what we observe in their behavior and um, I can comment on what they have written or stated. Uh, So there's no question that uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, the WEF, and uh, many of their affiliated organizations are uh, seeking to advance a uh, an agenda of reduction in human population. That's unequivocal. Mm-hmm. The the boundary there is, um, did you know? To be blunt, um, uh, did Tony Fauci and the scientists at the Vaccine Research Center conceive of? and and in Germany at um, BioNTech, did they conceive of the use of spike, uh, this, what we now know as an engineered spike, as a vaccine antigen using this technology as a way to advance a depopulation agenda. And I just don't see evidence of that. If If it was revealed in an email correspondence or some testimony, then then I would say, yeah, there we have it, the smoking gun. But right now I see a an odd mix of uh a variety of ulterior motives of agendas. Um uh clearly um, pre planning that uh relates to a lot of the authoritarianism and the um uh, propaganda and censorship, all that was clearly laid out in event 201, uh, in, um, September, November, I think it was September of 2019. Yes. Uh, so, so we can say, oh, those things were all clearly pre planned Um, uh, but it's, it's hard for me to imagine, uh, that, um, the scientists at the Vaccine Research Center, for example, at NIH, um, were intentionally engineering a bioweapon in the form of this product. I think the, the alternative hypothesis is that they were in a rush. Um, there was uh, a variety of agendas uh, causing a the, um, a strong incentive to advance, uh, this gene to vaccine technology, uh, and there was pressure to do so. I think a lot of that pressure came through the intelligence community. Um, you're in a position to address, um, uh, the national security, uh, apparatus and, and NSC as kind of the point of entry of these, uh, we could call them the China solutions uh, with the lockdowns, et cetera, the Chinese model for how to manage this seems to have come through Pottinger and the National Security Council. Uh, um, but uh, it's it's hard for me to imagine uh, that um, the folks at VRC um, were intentionally designing a bioweapon what in might what seems to be the case is they were in a rush Um, tony and others were actively pushing the mrna tech i'm told that part of the reason why um uh, rick bright was uh you know subjected to the usual dc put him in a closet assign him to something other than his you know what what we because we want to get him out of his current job, that part of that was the consequence of Rick uh, not coordinating with Tony uh, to authorize the the uh, contract with J and J for the J and J vaccine, which was not what Tony wanted to see advanced in this. We clearly had an agenda that um, this situation would be um, exploited, really, mm-hmm. to advance um, and penetrate the global population. With the mRNA technology, and there is a, a you know bunch of documented agenda items behind that logic, uh, but they appear to have um, just in a in a rush in the moment taken the uh, previously failed approach uh, with MERS and SARS one of building vaccines employing only the spike antigen. Uh, And it's important to remember that uh, globally, there's over 10 licensed vaccines. We've only been allowed to have a small subset of those. Um, And it seems like virtually every one of those uh, that were allowed here in the United States were tied in some significant way to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for what it's worth. I mean, those are the data. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, Novavax is not an mRNA-based product, but it does have strong ties with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, so uh, so there absolutely were agendas, but I cannot um, trace a document trail and convince myself that the products were engineered as bioweapons. Um, I think rather what we're looking at is a combination of Other ulterior agendas, uh, like um, pushing to advance this tech, which has really been pushed. We need to be, I think it's absolutely appropriate to acknowledge that advancing the mRNA technology for this application and others is a specific agenda item of the CIA um, as embodied in their uh, developmental arm called Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA. Yes. And, and it's in Qtel has now funded another mRNA manufacturing facility in Canada, in Qtel being the uh, investment uh, arm of the CIA that's semi autonomous. So, you know, one model of what happened here, because Tony absolutely has deep ties with the intelligence community, consequent to his dual role of not only NIH leadership, but also leadership of the entire biodefense enterprise. Um, uh, we, we, I think, I think when the dust settles, we're going to find that it was really the national security state, um, uh, and in close cooperation with the internal security state called Homeland Security that has advanced and really pushed the technology and, um, tried to advance it for various, uh, ulterior motives which seem to be vertically integrated with motives that are clearly expressed uh, in in writing by Klaus Schwab uh, um, and uh, Yuval Harari, uh, both in writing and in speaking, having to do with gaining uh, population acceptance for what's essentially a gene therapy technology—the you know willingness to accept an injected uh, genetic material. So there's there absolutely are a bunch of agendas I, uh, around this it's very complex um many of them have a financial aspect many of them have a population compliance and control aspect um absolutely there's just been a stunning unprecedented in the history of the western world at least uh propaganda and censorship and really information warfare of um, fifth generation uh, warfare technology deployed uh to advance all this um and but I, can't, I cannot see right now that we have the smoking gun saying uh, that um, uh, that there was an intentional effort to design these products as bioweapons. I think it was more um, more towards the spectrum end of incompetence rather than um, nefarious intent.
0: Well, you are far more generous uh, about this than I will be, and I, you are absolutely right in your position to be very careful with your language and what you assert, Dr. Malone, and I, I'm glad to hear you put a lot of these pieces together. I think we've just gotten to the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we know.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm with you. There's, there's so much that, that, and I'm afraid that it's all going to be swept under the carpet because the Senate didn't flip. Um, Right. I know. And we've got
0: the House. And and I want to ask you about because I've been calling for a COVID accountability project. And, you know, it may take some real time before we we get to it. But, you know, like Senator Ron Johnson has been excellent, but we don't have control of the Senate. So who knows where that is going to go. But I would take it one step further. And you do not have to comment on this whatsoever. But knowing what we know, what the intel community is capable of with Russia hoax, et cetera, Donald Trump being an existential threat to all of them, the entire corrupt ruling class and their absolute grip on power and their grand project of remaking the world and certainly America, Mm -hmm. they needed to stop him. President Obama made gain-of-function research illegal on U.S. soil, so Fauci et al., EcoHealth Alliance, and the rest, outsourced it to places like Ukraine and, oh, the Wuhan lab in China. I
1: completely agree, and Bobby's next book is going to cover this even more deeply, but that information, and you may not be aware that I was one of the earliest, and I took a lot of flack Uh, for pointing out the paradoxes in the testimony around the Ukraine, quote, biolabs in the language that was used. Um, And and I really took a lot of heat for that. But I've had um, serving military personnel, for instance, come up to me and tell me that, for instance, those uh, jet missile strikes on the Ukraine biolabs early in the conflict were um, at least a large number of them were um, U.S. forces, U.S. Air Force, taking out those facilities. Um, there's a, I completely agree, and as, a, again, I think Bobby's book, from what I understand, is going to document um, a lot of this, and it, it is a long and deep, uh, unfortunate history that involves uh, um, experimental testing on prisoners and military and other things in the state of Georgia and and ongoing in Ukraine, there appears to have been a quid pro quo uh to allow uh this kind of military industrial biodefense complex to have its way um in in these kind of marginal um uh, you know nation states we call them nation states I guess uh um you know kind of uh, satellite surrogates of, uh, NATO in the United States. Um, and, and that involved things like giving diplomatic immunity to scientists working for companies like Battelle. Um, and, uh, a lot of things that, um, the more I learn about it, the more disgusted I am. Uh, but you know, it's, we, we've got a problem. Uh, we absolutely have a problem with a kind of scientific military industrial elite having uh, just gone off the rails, believing that they are um, entitled to uh, breach norms of uh, bioethics.
0: It really is terrifying to think that we are at the mercy now in so many ways of a biosecurity state. Uh, And, you know, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates, they're, they're all publicly on the record touting the Chinese model, The Chinese economic model, the COVID lockdown model, they really aspire to it. We've got to hit another quick break, but much more of this very important conversation straight ahead. First, though, speaking of your health, it is time to make your health great again as we get closer to the new year. And that means paying attention to your liver. After decades of wear and tear, our liver slow down and can become sluggish. This is why so many of us struggle with weight gain and feeling tired all the time. Fortunately, there is a simple, all-natural solution that I recommend. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities, boosts your energy levels, and can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. Liver Health Formula is backed by the latest science and approved by American doctors. And every bottle is manufactured right here in the USA. And right now, as a listener of our show, you can try liver health formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today first you'll receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega 3 this powerful blend of omega 3 fatty acids supports a healthy heart and brain with four times better absorption thanks to the special nano delivery system you're also getting four free ebooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity regardless of age. Go to getliverhelp.com slash Monica or call toll-free 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of liver health formula and all five bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com slash Monica or call 800 282 1757 you're covered by their 365-day money back guarantee so you have nothing to risk but supplies are limited so head on over to getliverhelp.com/monica or call them toll free 800 282 one seven five seven now to order liver health formula and get your five free bonus gifts while you still can. That's slash Monica or call eight hundred two eight two one seven five seven. We're coming right back. We're back with our final moments with Dr. Robert Malone. In our last couple of moments here with you, Dr. Malone, let's talk about, and you write about this very extensively in Lies My Government Told Me, you write about the dangers of extreme bias, groupthink, straight-up lies from the regime and the globalists and the propaganda press. You have been suspended from social media. You've been silenced like so many other dissenting doctors. You've been targeted by the regime. How has this process been for you?
1: Of course, it's, it's, uh, not pleasant at all. Um, it's hugely stressful. Um, and as I kind of lay out in the book, um, I look forward to the day, uh, when my wife and I can just get back to our, uh, quiet, uh, lives here, uh, you know, in, in Virginia, along the base of the Shenandoah on our horse farm. Um, we've got a mare that uh, may deliver any date now. Um, but we were mm. checking her last night. Um, I really don't enjoy this. Early on, I was accused of seeking fame and, uh, and leveraging all this for some sort of personal benefit. Uh, um, and I can assure you that is absolutely, you know, this is not fun. And now more recently, I'm subject, actually the beginning the week before the publication date for the book, I've been subjected to a nonstop barrage of hate and attack um, coming from uh fringe element security, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, conspiracy theorists that usually are associated with the right wing. Um, so I've, I've uh, really been hammered uh, by corporate media and, and tech. And now I'm getting hammered uh, accused of being a deep state uh, controlled opposition, ex CIA operative. Um, I, I, we have a problem it's now increasingly documented and i and i'd use the term fifth generation warfare before there are infiltrators here um and and people that are seeking to disrupt uh um and uh and for whatever reason i've become a prime target and it's absolutely no fun at all uh it's very discouraging and demoralizing and um uh you know at this point i'm there's no joy in in any of this for me i i do not enjoy dc culture uh, i'm not nobody
0: does office. yeah <laughs> You're well, not you alone know the, there, you know the Dr. joke Malone. if you if yes. you want a
1: friend in dc get a dog right <laughs> yes um, yes but but there's a lot of merit to that it's it's just you know this imperial administrative state that we've created um, has lost ethical bearings it it has no commitment to integrity and uh, it's become a monster. I, um, the biblical quote, uh, you know, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? I think also applies to nations. And, and I do think that we've kind of lost our way in seeking um, global dominance in so many different ways, uh, which was absolutely not the original vision of the uh, founders. Um, it was a more limited uh, federal organization with primary roles in regulating interstate commerce and defense, collective defense, and this expansionist uh um state that that it has become uh at, you know, which Ike warned us about, right? Yes. Um, uh,
0: the military-industrial complex, as, and now as, we've got a biosecurity state well, complex. And,
1: and he and he warned us about that too. He warned us about the scientific enterprise in that same speech, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and we're now living it. Uh, it's it's you know the the wag the dog uh, metaphor. The tail has absolutely come to wag uh, the dog, and and many people um, raise the prospect that. We're on the threshold of really um, global domination by pharma. We we have um, it's not just a biosecurity state; it's a pharma state. Um, pharma functionally funds our campaigns. Uh, they control much of the legislature. I think a case can be made that uh, there's strong ties between the Biden administration and Pfizer, and of course we've seen that the same also holds true in brussels with the united nations i mean sorry with the european union and uh
0: and um, they they also fund mass media you can't yes, watch uh, network news without brought to you by yeah. pfizer
1: brought to you by pfizer um yeah so uh the 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 better times ahead the better future coming um that the book uh starts to lead into is I hadn't realized somebody, one of our followers pointed out that in one of the very early editions of 1984, George Orwell had written a prelude or a a commentary in which he had said that the only way that he could see to avoiding this um, totalitarian future that he was predicting was through uh, the development of a decentralized model. And that's inadvertently, that's where the book basically concludes, is talking about uh, intentional communities and um, how we can move forward as an alternative to this dark transhumanist fourth industrial revolution of merger of man and machine. Um, uh, The the alternative to that is a future in which um, humanity is empowered, uh, not in a socialistic way, but um in a in a more decentralized global way uh that I still think that um these quote rich white guys um that got together uh you know pushing three centuries ago now um and founded the american republic uh what they did what they came up with. You know, despite the fact that they were rich, rich white and privileged uh, landowners, that doesn't mean that their thinking was bad. And I think what they came up with in the form of our Constitution and Bill of Rights remains a guiding light, a beacon, um, through time, uh, for how to create a more limited, uh, structure for self-governance. And and um, and I think that uh, the hope is that. Um as the president tried to do with Schedule F, uh somehow we have to break the back of the administrative state. Yes. Uh in order to get back to um a, a world uh that I think the Supreme Court increasingly shares a vision of, um, in which the legislature is responsible for legislating <laughs> and it's yes. not allowed to defer. Um uh legislative decisions, policy decisions, um uh you know law making to unelected administrators that are uh form this permanent governance elite of uh the um senior executive service and and all of their acolytes that somehow we've got to break this, and I think to the president's cr- great credit, I mean in retrospect, I think uh all we are all very familiar with his weaknesses and limitations and and they've certainly been amplified in the corporate media but there's a lot of good that came out of that and uh one of them was the effort to um to put a leash to rein in the administrative state and to recognize the threat that it represented and unfortunately schedule f was just about to um uh, become enacted when uh the administration turned, and I'm understanding that the first action of Mr. Biden was to overturn that um, that process and, and um, negate that presidential order. And somehow, somehow, with the help of the Supreme Court, we've got to get back to um, that pathway of. Uh, being able to put reins or, or bell the cat or whatever your favorite metaphor is on this monster that we've created that we call the administrative state.
0: Yes. Amen to that. That is the solution, but it's a huge heavy lift. Um, one big final question for you, Dr. Malone, and maybe it's a series of, of little questions here. I think I, I, hopefully we can get to that and that better future that you talk about in lives, my government told me, but I think in order to get there, we need we need a COVID accountability project. We need like what South Africa did with the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission and so on. And Elon Musk has been tweeting, you cannot have reconciliation and healing without the truth and transparency so it musk has said you know he's he is thinking about putting together a commission to yes. get to the bottom of the actual glad collusion. You mentioned that. Yes. yeah between big government big tech and big pharma to well, he's, he's the truth. i
1: think specifically they're saying they that uh there's interest in putting together a commission to get to the bottom of the government lies i take a certain amount right. of pleasure in that
0: language. yes me too would you serve on such a commission if they called
1: So this gets to, um, my closing comment in private with Senator Johnson the other day. Um, uh, and I was, I was really torn about whether to even go to that. Uh, if called, I will be glad to serve my country. I don't seek it. I don't seek political position. Um, I, I, I take no pleasure in any of this, but, um, but uh, if asked to serve my country, who, who, what patriot would not say yes? Uh, so I, I think that's just the, the right thing to do is kind of hold your nose and dive in if you're asked to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you are so far into this and you have been persecuted in every such way, Dr. Malone, that I I think one more giant step in terms of revealing the truth and bringing accountability is so critical. We also have Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, who has said that he intends to hold Big Pharma accountable in all of this. So we do have some movement here and there's got to be accountability for these COVID villains like Fauci and Burks and Redfield and Gates and Walensky and Borla and the rest of them because we've got to get the necessary justice if we're going to move forward and allow this to never happen again
1: so i have i have some friends from south africa um and uh we just had a uh a kind of an international strategy session um in istanbul two weeks ago and uh so nick hudson um shared a lot about what transpired with those truth and reconciliation commissions um, I, uh, I first heard this logic, uh, put forth at an MIT conference that Steve Kirsch had convened, uh, many months ago, uh, which by the way, had almost no attendance, um, uh, focused on the vaccines and the adverse events and, uh, the academics that were there that had been, uh, championing the jabs, uh, um, were putting forth this idea, uh, I'm. I'm not convinced that uh, truth and reconciliation commission in which you come forward, admit your sins, and then you're absolved, is basically the way that works. Um, is is sufficiently powered and compelling to uh, discourage similar uh, behavior in the future. Um, uh, I I really. Uh, What happened in South Africa was a lot of the the, the truth and reconciliation process happened, um, but the underlying power structure that gave rise to those abuses remained in place. And a case can be made by some South Africans that it was actually just a convenient ruse in order to uh, allow um, the existing large financial and business interests to remain in power. And so I... I'm very wary of that logic. I do believe that, um, we must ha- have, um, transparency, uh, in, if we are ever to restore integrity and I'm not sure that we can restore integrity. Uh, you, you, you mentioned, and I, I completely concur, um, the, and I, and I wrote a sub stack about this uh, regarding integrity, uh, I I think that um, many of these agencies, if not all of them, that have a dual function, supporting the pharmaceutical industry and regulating it, for instance, supporting the aviation industry and regulating it, supporting agriculture and regulating it, USDA I'm referring to. Um, this is a widespread problem throughout the government, this dual agency. And uh, virtually every one of those bureaucracies has become deeply corrupted and so deeply that I don't think we can reform them. I think we're going to be in a position where um, we're going to have to live with the corruption in the way that happens in Italy and India, or, um, or somehow uh, we're going to have to uh, take a wrecking ball,
0: mm-hmm. take it
1: right back down to ground yeah. and rebuild because what we're dealing with is deep, profound, systemic organizational corruption that has developed over decades.
0: I I 100% agree with you on that. And I think it's going to require the wrecking ball because I think Americans have just been pushed to the wall and there's only so much we we as human beings can take. Final big question for you, Dr. Malone, as you look back over the last three years, over the course of the pandemic and the response and, and all of the darkness that has sort of fallen over the land and the world, do you consider this a crime against humanity?
1: Absolutely. And, and we said that in that declaration four that I was referencing early in our, earlier in our chat, um, yeah. we call for full investigations, accountability, um trials uh, um, uh, and criminal prosecution uh, in that declaration, and we absolutely uh, uh, endorse that uh, there have been multiple crimes against humanity and they aren't just in the pharmaceutical sector, the um, uh, the the information warfare technologies that have been deployed on us to cause um coerce uh, things like uh, vaccine uptake in children um, is, is absolutely such a crime. I, I was on a Instagram uh, cast yesterday um, having to do with a school district in rural California that is almost all serving immigrant families. So the poorest of the poor, very disadvantaged. And uh, they've launched a new campaign uh, involving Santa Claus, Uh, to coerce uh, these young children in school to take vaccine. And if they would take vaccine, they'll be given up to $1,000 in toys uh, and get to visit Santa Claus. Uh, This is so deeply wrong. And I can't, it's got to be, this kind of thing has got to come from government funding. It's got to be a consequence of this new $475 million being allocated. I, I just, the, the thing is it hasn't stopped. They're doubling down. They see nothing wrong in what they're doing or all they care about is the money. I don't know, but the bioethics of what's going on here is just deeply, deeply wrong.
0: It's just straight up evil. And you're exactly right. We need this accountability uh, project. Um, You know, if there's going to be the necessary justice and the ability to move forward. Um, Well, we're going to leave it there. I, I mean, I could talk to you for hours on end, Dr. Malone, but we won't do that to you. But it's just, you know, it's been such a journey. For all of us, and in particular for you. And, and it is ongoing. And the truth, the truth always emerges, even if it does take a while. So I want to thank you for your courage and your leadership on all of this, particular, particularly through the darkest days, including right now, which remain dark for you when you continue to be attacked and silenced. Our hats are off to you. We just applaud you and and everything that you're doing to stand up for the truth.
1: Thanks, Monica. Maybe I can leave you with the St. Augustine quote that you were referring to truth, which is the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Set it free. It will defend itself. Um, And I think it, it has a long timeline for that to happen, but I think it's happening.
0: It is happening slowly. The truth always comes out. I, I joke, Doctor Malone, that the truth always comes out, and it may take a long time, but we always get the truth. Except in the case of the Kennedy assassination, we're still waiting oh, on uh, those documents.
1: Yeah. Uh, just so, <laughs> and and uh, Bobby is a friend. Uh, I like to. Yes. I'm I'm grateful to be able to call him a friend, and uh, um, you and I uh can joke about that but for him it's very deeply personal and um he has some very strong feelings about what took place and it's fuels i think a lot of his current activism
0: mm. Well, he is tremendous as well and has been a great truth teller throughout this pandemic as you have. And he wrote the foreword to your new book. It's called Lies My Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming. The author is the phenomenal and courageous Dr. Robert Malone. Go get the book at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, wherever you get your books. Go get it read it as one of the most important books out there, please. So thank you, Dr. Malone, so much for being here. We so appreciate it. God bless.
1: Thank you. Be good.
0: Wow, guys, what an absolutely incredible and very important show. There are courageous people out there, like Dr. Malone, willing to stand up to institutional power to tell the truth and save people along the way. So please tell everybody you know to listen to this show. It's that important. All right. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for being here and for visiting our great sponsors. We're all really grateful for that. I will see you right back here on Wednesday with another really big and I promise you fun show on Wednesday. See you then.